good job solving the mystery of the abandoned shipping factory, gang. The gray ghost was just a guy in a costume? I did not see that coming. So where to next, gang? Well, there's the deserted amusement park, an old vacant mansion, an abandoned warehouse, an abandoned hotel, a shuttered hospital, and another abandoned hotel. The economy isn't getting better, is it? Welcome to episode 9 of the Funny Books and Firewater podcast, where each Monday we pair the finest of cocktails with the finest of graphic novels and comic books. Go to www.funnybooksandfirewater.com to find all the drink recipes featured in the show, as well as links to all of our social media. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Tumblr. Uh, Also, if you like what you hear, if you could give us a like, a good comment, a thumbs up, if you will, on whatever service you downloaded this lovely podcast from. It can really help us out and help other people find our little podcast. This week we're discussing the first of the Lock and Key trade paperbacks. This one's called Welcome to Lovecraft, and it's written by Joe Hill with art by Gabriel Rodriguez. Uh, Okay, welcome to Funny Books and Firewater Podcast (laughs) to episode we can't remember, Um, so we're just calling it the next episode. Just do it in the intro of the intro. Well, I will. I do the intro of the intro. I really don't know why I do these intros here. If I, if I was better on the spot and I could, like, remember all the shit, I wouldn't have to pre-record an intro, which my wife was always like, yeah, you sound kind of, like, bummed out when you do those intros. I'm like, because normally I'm recording them at 5 o'clock in the morning and trying not to wake you up. <laughs> She's like, yeah, you sound so bummed out. And then, you know, and then you're, like, really happy when you're actually on the show. And I'm like, well, I was heavily That's drinking and doing those intros. It'd be fine. No one wants to be awake at 5 a.m. <laughs> no, yeah. we just like drinking at 5 a.m. That's what I do. Yeah, the problem is I'm trying to stay employed, you know. But- oh, that's There's real commitment to drinking at 5Q. That's a lot of commitment. <laughs> but there, there have been many a day where I have, I have woken up and I'm like, today sucks. I'm going to get a bottle of champagne, watch an episode of Ab Fab, and then move about my day. <laughs> that actually sounds kind of awesome. And if I have a day off, I have, totally plan on doing that. You bitch troll from hell. <laughs> <laughs> mm, now I want champagne. Now you want champagne? I actually was having champagne, but we will get to drink soon. Um, so Ooh, I have a champagne recommendation that's aside from my uh, my drink recommendation. So if we all pick the same drink, I'm gonna laugh my ever loving ass off. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so we will uh, we'll start with uh, the person who is up the latest tonight, since we're recording more in the evening than we normally do. We'll start with Q. Hi. So it's almost midnight here, and I'm drinking. Um, we've been. As I was telling the boys earlier offline, I went fabric shopping today. It just made everything so much better. Um, So, uh, seven looked as important. Um, (laughs) (laughs) That made everything better too for about five minutes. So, uh, uh, 1776 is in full swing. Um, I'm really excited about these costumes and. then uh, the next thing that I'm going to be building, I have to get in touch with a friend about what it is that he really wants, but I'm building the Electra costume for um, Gypsy. Um, so I'm really excited about doing some fun light-up special effects costuming. I had no idea Daredevil was in Gypsy. <laughs> Shut your face. <laughs> You're still a musical theater ger- uh, nerd, too. So. I know I am. I, I very much am. So, okay, to, to show my musical theater cred, and speaking of 1776, I told you I'd tell you the story on the air because mm-hmm. it's decent enough to probably have to record it. So, I was doing 1776 at uh, Goodspeed Musicals in Connecticut, and the guy who was, who's the who's the character who has, like, the one solo and then become the governor of Virginia and then leave in the show? Oh, it's, it's Robert Henry Lee. That's who, Robert Henry. Um, my, yeah, my best friend is playing. Okay, so the guy who played Robert Henry Lee got a Broadway show, so he left. 
So we brought in this. Th- so we brought in this other guy. That, that actually happened a lot on the show. We lost like John Adams' wife because she went to play Mary Poppins on Broadway, and then we lost um, Jefferson's wife because she went to play Elphaba on Broadway. Like we just kept losing actors and actresses to Broadway shows on the show. It was really, and they lost me too because I did the tech rehearsal and then left uh, and to work for my current gig. Um, but so they brought in this guy who's done the role a bunch, and he'd just done the role in D- Dallas, and he does it all the time. Well, his big claim to fame is he is in the Disney animated movie of Beauty and the Beast, he is the villain, the cocky guy. What is, about, uh, oh, John, Gaston. 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 He's the voice of Gaston, right? But so he plays this role all the time. And he knows that the character always wore like a glove on one hand because he was crippled as a child. And like that was like at the time, if you only wore a glove on one hand, that was very significant. People knew that that's what that meant. So he keeps trying to tell the costume designer, like, I have to have a glove on one hand. The costume designer is this Italian guy who's like, dude, that doesn't make any sense. It doesn't read the same way. No one knows what that means. And it just looks like you're, you know, Michael Jackson wannabe. Like, it doesn't work. He goes, no, I have to have a black glove on this hand, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> right? So he annoys the living shit out of the customer. And finally, the customer is just like, just give him a fucking glove. I don't care. So we have this really smart ass uh, costume master named John. I won't say his last name, but he's pretty famous, and most people who've worked there fucking know who John is. So John finds him this glove, and I don't know if he did this on purpose or not. Knowing John, he probably did. But he got him like one of the cheapest gloves he could possibly find. And the thing is, is the guy's only in like two scenes, and then he leaves. Like I said before, well, in this time that he was on stage and wore that glove, it dyed his hand purple, like bright <laughs> purple, right on opening night. So he comes downstage, uh, downstairs, because he basically gets to sit there and tell him bows, and he takes mm-hmm. his glove off, and he's just pissed, and he's scrubbing and scrubbing, and can't get his hand not to be purple. So he has to put the glove back on and go out for bows, and like I just, it was like one of my last days at the gig. I'm like, you son of a bitch, you got what you deserve. And I asked John, I'm like, do you do that on purpose? And he just smiled at me, and I'm like, I can never tell. Like he was very happy and satisfied <laughs> with what had happened, but I don't know if he did it on purpose or not. But I wouldn't be surprised either way. Uh. Now I really want to do something evil to Ben. <laughs> Speaking of gloves, I'll never forget when I was in uh, junior high school, we did uh, Christmas Carol, and I played Bob Cratchit, and our school didn't really have a theater, so we went and actually like rented out a theater. Um, have you ever been to my... Uh, well, there's a... Never mind. It's hometown stuff, but <laughs> went there, rented this theater out, and it was the middle of winter, which in California, it's not bad, but we had like, a really cold winter. Now, for me, living up in Utah... When I go outside and it's 32 degrees, I can wear shorts and a t-shirt because I'm used to that. But right. when you're in California and you're not, oh, it was like it was like 30, 25, 30 degrees in this old, like, rundown theater. Um, it had no heat. We had these little propane tanks. And it was covered in trees, so it never got sun. So we were doing all of our dress and tech rehearsals. And our director, because we were poor, we had these little, like, mittens, made us cut the fingers out of the mittens to make it realistic. I'm like, can we just please do it for opening night because it is cold as balls in here. And he's like, nope, nope, nope. You gotta do it this way. Dude, my, I swear to God, I got frostbite on my fingers because it was so fucking goddamn cold in that place. So ever since then, I've, I've banned gloves and mittens because they just piss me off. But if you don't have fingerless gloves, how will people know that you're poor? That's what you do for opening <laughs> night when there's a hundred people in there and it's warm because of this fucking body heat. Okay, God, so... Damn. The voice of the president of the Anti-Glove Association of America is uh, Adam. Adam, would you like to do your intro? <laughs> yeah, I'm Adam McDonald. I'm uh, with uh, BigShinyRobots.com. Also, the Board as Hell podcast with Andy Wilson, who has guested on here a few times. Um, 
All I can say is when you go out in public and you interact with people in businesses, please don't be assholes to them. We are people too, and we don't like being yelled at for 20 minutes because you're a dumbass. Um, <laughs> uh, but aside from that, uh, going well up here, we've got uh, Gay Pride coming up next weekend, so we're kind of prepping for that and really excited. And then after that, we got the Tony Awards, which my husband is... My husband's more excited for that than he was when we got married. So uh, take that as you will, but... <laughs> That's my next two weeks. Um, but gay, yeah, gay pride and the Tonys just always go hand in hand. Well, most it's weird because most years they're on the same night, so you go to Pride during the day and then you come back and do the Tonys, and it's just it's a wonderful gay old day. Okay, uh, but- I got one more Tony story for you from that same theater company. <laughs> so let Brian name drop a few more times. No, I'm not actually. Um, well, maybe I will a little bit. You son of a bitch. Um, <laughs> no, so I w- this was the same theater company I was working at, and uh, the set designer for the show they were working on, um, I can't remember what show it was, and probably safer if I don't say what show it was. Anyway, the set designer was, is this big dude. It was Alexander dude. Hamilton. It was not Alexander Hamilton, but he was nominated. <laughs> he got nominated for a Tony that year for, I want to say it was... Um, the drowsy chaperone and uh but anyway the guy if you've ever seen him he looks like what i would like the best way i can describe him is if you've seen the disney cartoon of alice in wonderland he looks like the walrus from the walrus and the carpenter story like he's just like a big dude with a mustache but he has like these really long eyebrows and one of them's like curled up and one of them's curled down it's almost like a like a trademark like he looks like this weird cartoon like like a pedophile i mean he's a nice guy and he's not like creepy looking but he just has these really long mustache like he looks like he's you know almost two centuries out of place. Like he would totally fit in in a Sherlock Holmes kind of story. But so he was the, the set designer for the show. Is this big dude. Well, all in the theater, in that theater, like all the towns and uh, all the houses in the town are owned mostly by the theater company. That's where a lot of the actors stay. And so during tech week, one of the actresses in the chorus did the uh, walk of shame home, but never said who she slept with at all. And so they all didn't know they go on whatever. So they had Monday off for the tone and, and that happened to be the Tonys. So they all congregated at one of the houses and they're watching, you know, the Tonys and their set designer ends up winning for drowsy chaperone. And she jumps up on the couch, points at the screen and shouts, I fucked a Tony winner, and everyone went. Oh. Oh. Well, just just bless her heart. Hey, I'll never be able to say that. So good for her. You go, yeah. girl. And speaking um, of someone else who will never be able to say they fucked a Tony winner, we also have Todd with us. That is true, and hopefully it stays that way. I am Todd Pilkington, live in Salt Lake City. Just a guy that likes to come on the podcast here and laugh at the others talking. <laughs> so. I mean. I mean, I, I fucked someone who's on Broadway. Like, does that count? Nobody cares. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody cares. I mean, I, I fucked someone who did professional theater. I uh, who has it? <laughs> I mean, honey, please. <laughs> All right, what did it take to be a professional actor the other day? Oh, my God. No gag reflex. I got paid 100 bucks once to be in Pippin. I'm a professional actor. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, uh, Eddie, was he's uh, he's been big in theater since he was a kid, and he did a lot of uh, community theater, but he did uh, Lost in Yonkers professionally up here when he came, God, like 13 years ago. Um so he always he likes to tell that story. And actually, one one day when we all meet up, because I'm sure that'll eventually happen somehow. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's he, coming up. Actually, we have to talk about that because I'll be in yes. town in, in a few weeks. Uh, he yeah. actually has a recording of him up there. It's, it's not a really good recording, um, and the sound's kind of bad. But his dad had it and converted it from uh, VHS to DVD, and it's 
it's really funny to see little 12 year old Eddie with uh, dyed dark brown hair um, who at that point in time was hitting puberty and head over heels in love with his uh, his brother in the film or mm-hmm. the, in the play uh, which is kind of weird to begin with because uh, you know brothers in love uh, but yeah it's, he's that's his claim to fame and he worked with um, oh I can't remember her name now but she was some famous actress who eventually became washed up and now lives in the trailer so that's all of them really great story Katie Holmes Thank you. <laughs> um, and uh, I'm Brian um, from Southern California, and uh, I am designing a few shows uh, in Utah coming this summer. And I actually looked up the opening dates because I'm prepared this week. Hell yeah! Um, so Arsenic and Old Lace is opening up at the Lyric on uh, June 9th, and then Baskerville is opening up on the 16th, which I'm also doing. And then uh, on the 30th, I am doing uh, You Can't Take It With You, and then they run through, I believe. July, possibly August. That I haven't looked up. I'm not that good. Um, but yeah, those three shows are running. Baskerville is like got the coolest stuff in it. So if you want to check that out, um, and there's the other ones shows I'm sure will be lovely and amazing as well. But I'm doing the most work for Baskerville. Um, not that you care about me, but uh, you know, good quality entertainment. I hope. Well, you should. Damn it. Uh, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, so. Um, but yes, yeah, so as some of us are drinking, some of us are drinking more than others. Uh, so Yas Queen. Uh, we'll start <laughs> out with the Yas Queen himself. Adam, what are you drinking today? Let me preface this by yes, I long day at work. Uh, so right now I'm just drinking vodka mixed with my normal uh, cherry Pepsi because I want something I can just down. But the drink I made for this uh, for this uh, lock and key, which we're discussing, mm-hmm. uh, I went and made it and then I looked online and it's like, God damn, it's already a fucking drink. So <laughs> either I'm a really good uh, I'm really good at plagiarism and don't know it, or I'm just a damn good bartender. Uh, but it's a martini. It's the ghost martini. Okay. And what you do is you take two ounces of uh, absolute vanilla or any kind of vanilla vodka, uh, one ounce of simple syrup, which honestly, make it yourself. All you do is you get a cup of water, a cup of white sugar, you boil it till it's all dissolved, and let it cool. You can go and spend five bucks to get a bottle at your, lo- your local store, but make it yourself as easy. So you add one, sh- one ounce of that, one ounce of cream or half and half, and then two ounces of club soda. Now you have to do club soda, not tonic water because if you use tonic water your mouth will pucker up like my asshole at a trump rally so <laughs> i love tonic water you know, tonic water is great but not in this thing it'll all be right. gross shake it all up over ice straight into a martini glass uh, man it's kind of got a ghost kind of feel look to it very ni- nice sweet drink uh vanilla flavored uh and it kind of ties in with some of the ghost stuff that happens in lock and key so uh yeah the ghost martini there you go all right Awesome. And uh, Q, what are you drinking? So I, much like uh, Adam, I'm just drinking vodka out of a bottle um, because that's what I do. (laughs) Um, So I just finished um, my bottle that I got for my birthday of just some regular old three olives. And because I literally just finished it, I also brought in my Smirnoff peach that was also given to me as a gift. So I'm going to be breaking into that here in a moment. Um, So... Um, when I was trying to look up drinks uh, for for Lock and Key, um, the first thing I did is just put in Lock and Key drinks, and Lock and Key is a speakeasy over in um, Los Angeles. Oh, really? Which is very interesting. Oh, wow. So those of you in the area, maybe should go head over there. That would um, be me, I'm assuming. And um, yes. And uh, I was going to, uh, I was trying to look for something that was maybe like a lock or a key or something like that. But um, in my sort of like Googling, I actually found a drink called the Echo Echo, which uh, is also another kind of little thing in this book. 
and it sounded pretty good. I'm not a huge gin drinker, but I've, I have been obsessed with grapefruit flavored drinks lately. So it's uh, one and a half ounces of gin, a half an ounce of lem lemon juice, half ounce of grapefruit juice, some Fillernum. Um, oh, I, I, I don't know what that is. Just Google that shit. We're gonna put it on on the on the on website. The Interwebs. And, yeah, and then um, some lemon peel. It's a um, oh shit. It's hold on. Let me let me. Just, quick links on your phone. It's a it's a like a simple syrup that is with lime, clove, and almond. Um, someone's gonna so it just sounds kind of interesting. Um, I'm not quite sure why it's called an Echo Echo, but I thought it was cute. I thought it was different. It'll be fun to put up on the website. Um, yeah. And then, of course, I know what Todd's drinking because we were discussing slightly beforehand, and we picked the same fucking drink. Um, made it two slightly different ways, but Todd, you want to talk about the drink? Sure. So, with Lock and Key and the spirit of it, is you've got a uh, modern-day Casper, except he comes and goes corporally. Um, I looked up... Oh, and skeet, a, skeet, 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 skeet. Yeah. <laughs> so, we uh, have a drink, a uh, Hemingway favorite, called Death in the Afternoon. So you basically take a uh, ounce and a half of absinthe, and then you add four and a half ounces of champagne. And it seems the most important part is um, you drink five of them right after the other in one sitting. Well, and the recipe I have also says that you should mm -hmm. do simple syrup. I don't remember if you mentioned that or not. Mine um, doesn't have that now. Yeah, and see, and the thing is that when I, I looked it up in an old recipe book I have, um, and it actually, um, it, it's based on the Hemingway title of uh, his 1932 novel, Death in the Afternoon, and he actually submitted it. He, uh, what Hemingway supposedly actually invented the drink and submitted it to a, um, a celebrity recipe book in 1935. Um, and, uh, yeah, and so uh, his, his uh, notion was, uh, the notes on here are uh, that a, a good dried sparkling wine or champagne will work the best. Um, if you don't, like, depending on how much you like absinthe, you may or want, may not want to use more or less. But I also, I made it with, I do like absinthe, okay. Um, so that might be part of it as well. But I also used the simple syrup, which I think actually helped a fair amount as well. But um, I didn't, I didn't think it was bad. Actually, I liked it. Uh, a lot. It had um, definitely has a lot of champagne. It's a fairly dry kind of flavor. Uh, at least the version I had of it. Um, no, yeah, I'm about finished with my glass here, and it's much better at the bottom than it was at the top. <laughs> I'll give you that. Are you sure that's not called the Q? <laughs> Are you better as the bottom and then as the top? <laughs> oh, honey, I don't kiss and tell. <laughs> Yes, he the does. world may never know. <laughs> okay, and uh, as we have previously discussed, we are talking about um, Lock and Key from uh, Joe Hill and illustrated by Gabri uh, Gabriel, not Gabriel, um, Gabriel Rodriguez. Um, and Adam actually had recommended this book um, a little while back. So, Adam, do you want to kind of give the intro on this book now that I've put you on the spot completely? Yeah, thank you very much for that. You're welcome. Um, Sorry about that. <laughs> no. So this, uh, yeah, it's written by uh, Joe Hill, who is, I didn't know this when I started, it's uh, Stephen King's kid. Um, this was, I remember, I will never forget the day I first read this book. Uh, I went to my local comic shop, which will no longer be named because the, uh, the person who owns it's a horrible bitch. Uh, <laughs> but my buddy works there, and he recommended, he's like, this is a really cool book you need to check out. Like, it's there's something special about it. So I bought the first trade and then took it home. I read it, God, like in 20 minutes. I mean, I just, I couldn't put it down. Immediately went back and got the next two in the series. Uh, it's uh, it's cool, it's kind of gothic, it's mystery, it's paranormal. Um, 
it's all kind of fun stuff. But basically, it's about the the Locke family, and uh, their their dad gets murdered. Uh, I, I, again, I don't want to say too much because there's so much cool intricacies and twists and turns in this, but the family moves, uh, they kind of go into witness protection because the killer is in prison, but he's got to make sure that he doesn't find him again. So they move to this uh, this old fam- family uh, kind of this uh, home. I believe it's called Key House, if I remember correctly. I yeah, to... it's called Key House, yeah. and it's in Maine. They're, the family's originally from the San Francisco area, yeah. and when the father was killed, he was at their uh, summer home. And uh, mm-hmm. a former student had found him and killed him. Exactly, yeah. So, And if you know anything about Stephen King, this plays in because pretty much all of his stuff takes place in Maine or, or New England and stuff. Um, oh, and the house is also on the, the precipice of like, a, a, like an island kind of thing. Or, mm-hmm. or, uh, so like a, one of the main, like there's access from the road from one side or by boat by the other side, which plays in later, I'm assuming. Yeah, so it's uh, the, the mom and the three kids. You have Tyler, who's the oldest. You've got his sister, Kinsey, who I think is like junior high, kind of that age. And then their youngest brother. It's also brother. Massachusetts, not Maine. Oh, oh Massachusetts. Sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there we go again. Uh, I was assuming because it was Stephen King it was Maine, but that's that's my fault. Yeah, so and then their, their little brother, Bode, or I think I, I, I always called him Bode. I don't know if that's the exact name I always called him Bode. I thought it was Bodie as well, especially because mm-hmm. it was um, later they call it uh, a game that they play. It's called Whack a Bodie. Oh, okay, that makes sense. Or, so, or, or maybe it is Whack a Bode. I don't know. Instead of Whack a Mole, Whack a Bode. I don't know. I like Bodie. I like Bodie yeah. too. So, the, you know, they go there and, and Bodie's, you know, the, he's obviously staying at home because the other kids are in school and stuff. And he finds this key. And they end up calling it the ghost key because you put this key in a door. And when you turn the key and walk through the door, pretty much you die. And, like, your body's left behind and your ghost goes out and, like, can go do things. And so he, being a young kid who wants to go explore, is all excited about this. And he goes to this well house they have. And he meets this woman there whose name is Dodge. Uh, and, again, that's how I pronounce it. Like, maybe Doge. <laughs> I don't know how you want to pronounce it. Um, just for, also, just for the record, because mm-hmm. I literally just read this today. Um, you never know what her name is. Um, oh, really? For a while, you think that her name is Echo. Mm-hmm. Um, but they, and even in like the Wikipedia things, so I was like, because tr- once again, I didn't know what to call her, so I just I was trying to read like not spoilers on Wikipedia, and um, they just refer to her as the girl in the well until later you find out that her, her, her she's Dodge because Dodge okay. was anyway. I, I do apologize because I've I've reread and read this series like countless times, so if I, I try not to be again spoilerific with this, but he counts a spirit and it seems benevolent and you know asking for things. And I, I don't want to say anymore because the whole point of this book is so cool is to is to learn what happens and, and again the twists and turns and how people get involved. Um, but what I love so much about this is there's and again it's it's played out through you know I think about I think it's five or six trades now. I, I, I think it's six uh, total is what I think. Because I bought the first four, four trades and then I just started buying them individually after that because that I was finally caught up. Um, but the, fam- the the way the family interacts and like the mom becomes an alcoholic and she because she blamed you know the, and the kids blame themselves for like Tyler especially for uh, the way his dad died could be murdered because he had the big fight with them um, and just trying to live up to the the kind of legacy your parents left and then when they learn more things about what's really going on is it just blows up and becomes even bigger um, yeah I, I feel it's kind of a shitty summation but I'm just like I said I'm, I'm scared to say much more because I don't want to ruin things because there's so much happening and there's so many cool little things that are thrown in that I would hate to be like oh and then this happens and find out that 
oh, I accidentally mentioned something that happens, you know, a book down the road. One of the things I kind of think is very interesting about this book I want to start with is this, the art for this book actually plays into it more than I would expect it. Because I, my first opinion of the art was it almost felt a little, I don't know if I want to, like almost cartoonish for this subject matter, um, especially with a lot of the other stuff we've been reading recently. It's very it's far more uh, attempts at realism, and this has almost more of like an anime uh, kind of quality to it. But the thing about it is is that somehow it's also still insanely effective, and there are some definite moments in there. Um, I think like the, the moment where uh, the kid's looking at the picture and uh, he sees the help me scrolled on it is highly effective mm-hmm. and, and creeped me out like crazy. And uh, I was curious if that was... Uh, if everybody else had the same reaction to that or not. Yeah. So, um, like now that you mentioned that this is, uh, Stephen King's son, like a lot of the stuff just sort of makes so much more sense. Um, (laughs) it, 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 it definitely plays like a Stephen King novel, um, where, where it's really not scary, but you keep expecting scary things to happen. Um, but but you're still intrigued. It's like like it's I'm not. That's not like a a a, a negative thing to me because also I don't really like really scary things. Um, but yeah, there's just, there's just the level of suspense. Like the the help me thing was definitely mm-hmm. um, super cool. But I also think that uh, um, I, I like the the car- kind of cartoony aspect of the art because it. It, once again, it, it makes you a little bit more relaxed when then it's, like, super gruesome. And mm-hmm. you're like, oh, yeah, like, this is super crazy. But, um, but it, it once again, like, uh, the like the art is, is really cool. I really like the art. Um, the artist, obviously, um, Rodriguez, definitely has, like, a thing with chins. Like, people have very distinct chins in the, mm. in, in the art, which is something that, that I noticed. Um, especially when it comes to... Um, the father or the, like the Locke family have, have a very distinct long chin. Yeah, um, you were right. Which is which was just cool. Um, another thing in the in the art that I that I really liked and um, you know I'm trying once again try not to be super spoiler spoilery, <laughs> but um, when you kind of find out about the the girl in the well who you later find out is named Dodge. I immediately picked up on like a hint that is put like in the middle of the book, like before it's some things about the character are revealed. And I was like, oh wait, that's the girl in the well. Why is she in this? And I was like, oh, oh, okay. Like, I don't know. I, I just, I like people are so distinctive that you know who they are without mm-hmm. even like, once again, without needing to be called by name on panel. And, and one thing that and you mentioned the chin, uh, which again looking back I, I see it again too. Um, the one big thing is the eyes, and this plays a huge, huge role again coming up. So hopefully everyone who's listening or who's just picking up this book for the first time loves it as much as I do and, and goes forward with it. But um, the eyes are very like they say the eyes are windows to the soul, especially in this series, uh, like with the girl in the well, as opposed to the Locke family. Like there's. The, you you pick up on certain clues and certain traits based on like the shape and glint of their eyes. It sounds kind of weird, um, but that actually is it, it's again one of the cool things that little hints like that or little throwaway things you might not notice actually plays a really big role later on. It makes a shit load of sense once you the story's developed and you kind of see where everything's been going. But um, as I've said before, I'm not really a huge art guy. Like I've never I my thing is I love story and I love the dialogue and see what's mm-hmm. going on, but um, 
this book is this series especially like Rodriguez just knocks out of the park and it's some of my favorite um, artwork uh, in any comic I've read what I really dig about the art in here is Brian brought up it's kind of cartoony it is a little bit but it also makes it very accessible because you've got Bodhi I'll go with Bodhi that sounds good to me is playing the role of a ghost and as he's a ghost and flying about he's still quite in a friendly manner so I mean the place is called Welcome to Lovecraft is like the chapter 2 and it could really go gothic and scary in a hurry but where um, Rodriguez also does really well is he's got this big um, habit here of repetition of showing the exact same thing two or three times with just small changes in the panel itself and it really feels almost like a pacing of what's going on there. So it's like the camera is being held, just trying to relate it to film a little bit, but it has a calm pacing throughout most of it. So um, again and again, you see it, it looks exactly the same. The thought bubbles may change or a little bit of change here and there. And it's like, oh, what is different? And it just kind of forces you to take your time as you watch it through and the way the art and the panels are set up, it's got a very nice relaxed pace to it. To sort of piggyback on that, I was, I was going to comment on that as well. It, once again, when I was, uh, when I finished it, I was like, I feel like I just watched, I feel like I just binged watch a Netflix series. Yeah. Like, like it, it, and but it has a comfortable pace, but mm -hmm. at the same time, you, you don't feel like you're being rushed. You don't feel like, um, but you also don't feel like anything's dragging. Like I think that the, it, the storytelling and the art definitely have definitely keep you in pace. And I think some of that is, you know, you have your kind of like in film, you kind of have that steady cam for a while. You just kind of hold that long shot, and then but then you also have you know the the cuts where there's some action going on, so you need to see what's going on. Uh, yeah, I totally agree with Todd. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think also one of the things I liked about uh, this those repeating shots too is like you also get a certain amount of action even though it's um a repeated shot like there's a sequence with Bodhi playing with um a flashlight in the well like it's just like the same image him same pose but mm -hmm. it's like his lit up and he's not lit up and you get sort of that idea um there's a similar scene with his older brother who where who's playing with a lighter and you almost get that idea of like that sense of how boring childhood can be and like they're kind of depressed and they're kind of bored and they're kind of stuck there and it's those long kind of bouts of boredom that are kind of broken up by like kind of these crazy scary moments as well and it kind of draws you into their world you know and, and again it's like the the parts that I thought uh, so I, I really don't like being scared it's literally one of my <laughs> least favorite things ever um so like so once again when you guys suggested this and I went and bought it, I'm like and I it got came in the mail I was like oh no this is a horror book like I <laughs> like I like I was like I'm gonna have like nightmares about like whatever these images are in this story but the thing is nothing in the story was actually super frightening in fact the more frightening things in the book were like the sort of more real life things like the serial killer mm -hmm. um, like that is actually more frightening than any of the supernatural elements of the story because even like when I thought that there was going to be something like supernaturally scary happen, like when um, Bodhi is playing near the well, when um, the girl of the well kind of reveals herself, um, I was like expecting full on like ring scariness, like yeah. super creepy, and it was just kind of like, oh, okay, like that, you know, that's all, that's all right, um, but uh, it's like it was, it was scary and suspenseful without being like 
super scary, which I fully appreciated. Well, just to piggyback on, on that ring thing that Q brought up, I actually, the girl in the well really reminded me of the girl from the ring, like a lot, like when she's- And that's what I was just gonna say. <laughs> yeah, well then you're you're the film guy, go for it. Oh no, I was just gonna say, it was it was very reminiscent of, of the ring and, and especially the, the one scene where she kind of crawls out of the well to talk to Bodhi. Mm -hmm. um, the first thing that popped in my mind was was the girl from the ring and it's kind of fun for me because for me you know again this was god the ring came out was it 2003 2004 somewhere somewhere uh, in there i was still living in utah so it was before 2003 yeah so that was and for me that was one of my favorite horror movies for, for a long long time just because it was and this is kind of the advent of bringing japanese horror over to america because you know this is before the grudge and before everything else and actually now we're getting the ring versus the grudge go figure <laughs> um, so that was really cool but there's there was a really really fun scene which kind of because again you're, you're kind of wondering if this creature is good or bad i mean you're kind of leaning on bad and i'm just flipping through again and i came to that scene where bodhi gives her the mirror and the scissors and she looks in the mirror and you see this horrible like demon face kind of looking out um so yeah, I, it does it does horror in a good way, which your your mind kind of fills in the blanks and lets you think what you want to, and it doesn't have to come out and like pop out and be incredibly gruesome and hey, we're ripping heads off or like popping out from you know behind a mirror or something like that. Um, but it still manages to be incredibly suspenseful. Um, and you mentioned Netflix, which from my experience was the perfect thing because this is a series I couldn't like, you know, I, I've very rarely binge watched seasons of TV shows. Maybe I'm just a bad geek. I don't know. Um, but this was the one I had to just keep on going and going and going. And the moment I caught up, I was like so, so incredibly depressed. I had to wait months and months and months at a time for the new, for the new series to come out. But, um, yeah, the film sensibilities in this are absolutely incredible. Um, just the way they'll, they'll throw in like the titles, like under a, a, a gurney, or something like that, or mm -hmm. uh, dead people coming back to life, or a serial killer, you know, murdering a, a busload of people. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, I, I also just want to say, like, there's still some pretty gruesome stuff. Like, it's not scary, but there's still some gruesome stuff in, in here. Like, when, when you see the dad in, in Bodhi's dreams, and he has, you know, the giant hole in his face mm -hmm. yeah. from where he got shot. Like, it, like it's once again... but But... You know, I was never scared by that, which, you know, you, if I probably were to see that in, like, a movie, I'd be like, oh, I can't look at that. With movies and whatnot, the uh, Sam Lesser, the serial killer that's doing these gruesome things, it reminded me a lot of that Anton Sugar from No Country for Old Men. Um, what is that? You um, take a look at it. I mean, there was some flashback scenes where he's talking with uh, the dad that's dead, but for the most part, just the way he acts and the nonchalance with the death of others he's just oh, okay. kind of doing the things and there is a quietness about him as you're doing it's like yeah he's dead and i'm still just going about my day type of a deal and so but with the pacing and everything else along with it again i just see a lot of similarities with his trek across the states getting there and sam lesser also has, seems to have a tendency to attack people's eyes i've noticed as well like there's mm -hmm. the guard in the prison, and then there's the dad. And does he? Is there any other points in time where he attacks someone with these eyes and cuts those out first? Well, he, well, he put a crowbar through the the truck driver's oh, eye. Yeah. yeah. Um, the people on the bus, I'm sure somebody got hit in the face. Um, but uh, and the thing is that you can't really see them, but there's there's something about um, 
like the tattoos that he puts on himself. There's one that is his eyes behind a cage, who I'm assuming then is the girl in the well. But uh, here, let me let me look at the scene with them oh, on yeah. the bus. I mean, what it it seem it seems that's kind of his his thing. His shtick. What is the the wolf fish supposed to be? Uh, I don't, I don't know. Does that play in Adam? Without spoiling the future. Uh, the wolf fish. Which page? I'm, I'm trying to flip through it again to find out where that was. I'm looking at page sixty. It's uh, him in the scene where he's in um, juvenile detention center, and uh, the echo comes and talks to him through his sink, and he, and he has a fresh tattoo that has um, looks like kind of like this wolf. With, um, it's like a tribalish wolf that almost looks like. Part wolf, part fish, kind of thing. Well, the thing is that the the wolf thing does come back a little bit later when Bodie is talking to his dad and he tells him the knock knock joke. Okay. Or, or is it, no, or it's not the is it the knock knock joke or is it another thing? But because that it's like this dog. Hold on, where where was it? Um, but it's it, maybe it's the first time he's being visited by his father. It's the first time he's he's uh, visited by his father, and yeah, it is the first time that he tells a knock knock joke, and and he kind of startles awake, and then he runs and meets the uh, the girl in the well. There there is some stuff later on that kind of could be that, but um, I mean the the dog thing is scratching oh, yeah. at a door that's labeled eleven. Once again, like the, yeah. this is I. I so just kind of my little my little review of this. I really like this. I'm really intrigued. I kind of want to know what. What the f is going on? Um, this definitely felt once again. It felt like the first series of of a TV show where I'm like, okay, well now I'm at my cliffhanger. When when's next season? Um, because obviously I need to know what is up with a uh, girl in the well. I need to know how many more of these keys there are and what it is that they do. I need to know what is up with this family and why. Um, you know the the gym teacher is sort of involved in all of this. Um, you, you know, uh, how come, you know, how come the brother is sort of, is sort of clueless about what goes on in this crazy freaking house? Um, so yeah, like I, I'm, I'm totally into this. I love all of these little clues and these little hints that obviously are going to, you know, play some part in, you know, in the grand story. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, re- I'm really into this. I mean, there's, all I can say is, is... A character does turn into a wolf at one point in time, but I don't remember that being so much a big thing. It was more just, it was more just Sam being the the, the killer, just being a crazy bastard. Um, God, this it's 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 really hard. Again, I, I don't want to say anything because there's so much that happens, and um, the the fact of the older brother, <coughs> you know, taking more time to kind of understand what's going on. I mean, for me, it makes sense because Bodhi found finds this key doesn't tell anyone about it because well he tells his mom and mom's like oh so you're a ghost again today huh like like a little kid would you know have make-believe stories and of course the adults aren't going to believe him um so the fact that it, it took uh you know the, the uh, tyler actually going through the door to find out oh crap like this is real and this is what's going on and um i i love 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 the very very last i think it's the very last panel of Bodie fishing and finds a new key because mm-hmm. they introduce, uh, they they, re- they reference one key, um, the Omega key, and then you've got the, and then there's um, the three the three keys that they use in this story. Yeah, you've, you've got the ghost key, you've got the gender key, and the anywhere key. Um, 
there are a lot more keys. <laughs> Trust me on this. Uh, and then, of course, the 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 one key he found in, in the river. Um, but I love the fact that it, it fully completes the storyline. You know, so yes, you know, at the end, everything is said and done. Um, and but it also leaves enough clues to wonder, okay, what's first of all, what's going to happen next? What happened to the girl in the in the well? What's up with her? Um, what's this new key that Bodhi found? And you know, now that Tyler and his sister kind of understand what's going on, are they going to get involved? And that's what's so masterful about this very first trade is that it sets it up perfectly to make you want to, like you said, okay, this is the pilot. What happens next? Um, and very very few comics I found that are that intriguing and that well done. Uh, that make me just so excited to go jump into the next one and see what happens. Spe- speaking of what happens next, that's one of uh, Sam's uh, lines that he uses a lot, which usually means he's about to kill someone, um, <laughs> which is amazing. There's also like this use of um, insects, which is interesting. Like I-, I saw those happening a lot, and I'm like, what are these insects, and why why are they, um, you know, why are they important? Um, I love I I love a good use of color and I love the fact that their father's urn was red and especially on panels where there was not any other like strong color in it so like his urn his urn was red um the other thing so um is it Kinley or Kinsley Kinsey Kinsey um so her bracelet uh you know plays a part later in the story and I was I was like oh why like all of a sudden this bracelet that like now she's wearing this bracelet and I just was flipping through and no she is wearing that bracelet the whole time and there is this design on I'm like oh like I totally wasn't even picking up on that earlier <laughs> um, it just it, it was, I, I I love I love all those little little things and and that's one cool thing is that there there is there are no throwaway lines or throwaway gags I mean. I, uh, I can't say anything, but there's there's something that's in almost actually there's something that's pretty much in every single scene with Tyler that uh, I'm not gonna go into detail on because I want to spoil it, but even that plays a role and you you don't even think about it and all of a sudden something happens later on and it just clicks like oh that makes perfect sense and then boom you go with it, um, but yeah it's you know it, it's funny because I didn't reading this I didn't know that Joe Hill was Stephen King's son, but now that I know that looking through it I can see. A lot of similarities in how like they he was influenced by his father, but I also see a lot of times where he one upped his dad because I mean Stephen King's known for getting to the end of a book and being like ah oh, well fuck it magic happens, um, <laughs> yes and and this was very cool because that didn't happen and you you did get the denouement you got a climax and it just ended wonderful. I'm just gonna assume it's something with his hat because that hat he wears all the time. It is something with a hat. Yes. Yes. Um, <laughs> love it. Puts it on his dick. Uh, I feel like Stephen King is always like kind of a negative editor. Like I feel like he has diarrhea of the word processor, and I felt like this is definitely more to the point than most of the stuff from Stephen King I've ever read. But I also have a hard time with him, so I haven't read a ton. So I'm sure there's a Stephen King fan out there who's like, "You are so full of shit." But and I am. Well, so. The thing is that Stephen King, uh, um, a lot of a lot of authors have the same kind of issue where it's like they know where they want to go, and all of a sudden you, they get to the end and don't know what to do. So then it's just kind of like, okay, and, the, and then we're done, yay! Like I thought, I thought the whole mocking mocking Jay um, Hunger Games thing kind of ended that way, where she knew where she kind of wanted to go, but then when she got there, she fumbled and didn't really know how to do what it is that she wanted to do. Um, because uh, what was the the miniseries um, 
Nancy Travis in it. Um, it was one of the one of the houses uh, things that Stephen King did, and I actually really liked it. I thought it was a really really cool miniseries, and I was really into it. And then the end happened, and I was like, "What the fuck is this? This is dumb." I was so mad. I think the only one of the, the the only stories of Stephen King's where that didn't happen was Carrie. I'm like, at least Carrie kind of had like clear beginning, middle, and end, and knew what was going on. What about uh, Shawshank Redemption? Um, I haven't seen that because I protest that movie. I just why do you no- protest that movie? That's a great movie. I, because everyone says that. That's why. I'm just like, no, thank you. Okay, so, A, here's the funny thing. I'm almost more impressed that you haven't seen it, because it's on, like, TNT, like, every fucking day. Oh, no, like, I know, and and my friends are always like, oh, Shawshank's on, we should watch that. I'm like, no, how about we go do something? Like, yeah, it, it's, it's a hard temptation, like, because, like, every time it comes on, you're like, oh, it's Shawshank. I cannot tell you how many times I've sat at work during lunch and watched parts of Shawshank Redemption because it's almost always on. It's like that and Law and & Order you can almost always find on TV somewhere. It used to be Matlock. I miss Matlock. Well, that's the problem with Stephen King. Like, it is a fantastic book, and I, I love it because it creeps me out and is scary. And then it goes off the rails when they have a, a teenage orgy and fight a giant spider. <laughs> Truth. Truth. I can't tell you how many times I found a giant spider and had a teenage orgy. Like it's just you know I can't tell you that many times. Well, and of course you were 17 at the time, so it was legal. So yeah, well, no, because it never happened. I grew up in Utah. There were no orgies, at least not any that I was invited to. Maybe just because I was a fat kid. No, they, they were down south and they were called sister wives. Oh, see, Todd, we were li- growing up in the wrong area, man. We sure were. We sure had a boring high school. <laughs> They're fine with having three wives, but they don't want me to have one husband. I don't get it. So I. Total side note, and I was going to tell you guys this anyway, but um, this has nothing to do with anything. But uh, one of the sound guys I was working with this week from Chicago was uh, telling me that he was on tour in Salt Lake with... I don't remember some show. It doesn't really matter, but he had like the day off. So he's like, "Yeah, so me and you know the the lighting guy, we decided we're gonna go, you know, go find a park and like smoke smoke a joint." So like they're sitting in this park, leaning up against a tree, smoking marijuana, and getting high. And then they're looking around, being like, "Man, everyone in Salt Lake is really dressed up to the nines." And we turn around, and we realize there's this big building behind us, and oh they have got high. <laughs> He's like, we're right next to this thing called the Tabernacle. I'm like, oh my god. That's fantastic. Oh my gosh, they got high on Temple Square. Those sister missionaries were probably so confused. (laughs) Is there a skunk in here? It's a little skunk. (laughs) What's that smell? They're just like, oh my god, I'm so hungry. Let's go to the temple and have pancakes. Oh my god. It was one of the most epic stories I'd heard. And like he didn't even realize how (laughs) epic that story was. Like, that is an epic story. Like that is crazy. There you go. Caught because there's security there is crazy. It really is. I, yeah, I you know it, it must have been some sort of weird lapse thing where I, I mean I don't know. Yeah, I know my cousin used to work security there, so um, so if I if I had one kind of thing that I didn't like about this book is that um, you know as as a gay comic reader I get very kind of uh, when there's any sort of like gay things that happen and like the two sort of gayish things that happen are with villains and I'm just like. Of course, the people who do gay stuff are villains. Like, of course they are, and I'm, and so I'm just like, uh, uh. But you know, w- you know, whatever, whatever. I don't know what else is going to happen in the story. Obviously, other, you know, other things can happen. But you know, sucking dick for, on a trucker is apparently a thing that villains do, and not you know normal people. That was actually like I didn't necessarily, I disliked that part, but not for the same reason. I almost felt like that was almost a cliche. 
like, oh, hey, this kid's hitchhiking, so of course he's going to have to give it. Like, it, it was like, maybe it's just because I've listened to too much Bloodhound Gang, but, like, that just seemed like a cliche <laughs> joke, you know? Like, it was... Uh, actually, P.S. By the way, Todd, the other day at work, um, I played the lap dance. is always better when the stripper is crying for somebody. Um, oh, that's great. Yeah, which if you know where I work, is twice as funny. My name is Russell. And the thing is that it is, <laughs> and, and and I guess that scene in particular to once again make you have a little more sympathy for Sam because that's uh-huh. kind of during his whole like backstory. Oh my God, did you just do a trucker horn? <laughs> <laughs> You're terrible, Muriel. Um. <laughs> So like it's like obviously like you're supposed to be like gaining sympathy for him or whatever, but at the same time like he's murdered so many people at this point I I have no more sympathies, um, and then and then of course the other the other kind of thing is uh is the 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 girl in the well who you obviously you know there's there's something something going on with her, she does not seem to What's be the, the gay nicest thing that goes person. On with her? What? What's the gay thing that goes on with her? Uh, she changes gender. Um, which so I, for as for me, I don't know what then is her actual gender. So I don't know like where they're kind of going with that and why there's this gender key, like why that's a thing and why that you know needs needed to be kind of one of the things that they do. Like you know, there's like the ghost door, there's the any place door, and then there's the store that can make you change genders. Like I don't know, it was just kind of. A weird thing that uh, I um, once again maybe it makes more sense later. Uh, you know, I'll have to wait to see how that plays out. But I was just kind of like, that's such a weird thing to like want to, to like want to do. Unless of course you're a transgendered person. Well, I'm just gonna say this for the two heterosexual members of the uh, podcast. I think I speak for both of us when I say, if I had a key that would turn me into a woman for a little while, I probably would never leave my bedroom. I'd probably just stare, like, you know, just be like, ooh, look, boobies. That is such a straight guy <laughs> thing to say. <laughs> Vagina. Um, I, all I can say is is uh, there is a gay character who plays a very big role in okay. everything that happens. Right. So. It's, uh, I, 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 like the, the, I don't know. It's, it's like the trans key. Like, I'm just like, why Why is that a thing? I just, I, 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 I don't know. Well, I like the thing. Apparently, Sam gave good enough head. The trucker was trying to be his pimp. Yeah, <laughs> he's I'm like, hey, I've got a bunch of friends. I could set you up. We can make a few dollars. Kids like Hoover, apparently. <laughs> yeah, oh. talk about buds. Hey, you got to come over here and try this. <laughs> he was like, he was like, ooh, gonna set you up. He is so good. Oh my god. <laughs> oh, honey, mouse like um, Again, having read the entire thing, actually, I take that back. I. The, the very, very last issue was called Lock and Key Alpha, and I bought it, and I was excited to read it, and I lost it somewhere like in between the comic store and my house, and I've looked everywhere, and I can't find it, so I actually have not finished the whole entire thing because I need to go buy it. Shame. Uh, I keep on forgetting because the last episode does, the last issue does kind of end the way you think it should, and I forgot there's this whole epilogue I need to go follow, so I will I take the back the fact that I've... I've reread it about five times, and I last get about that last hmm. issue. But all I can say is that all will be revealed. Uh, everything makes a lot of sense, and there are no throwaway jokes, gags, or images in this comic. It's it all has relevance and meaning. Okay, uh, Todd, I don't think we've quite got your review of this yet. You know, I really did enjoy this, and as comics books go everywhere, Joe Hill, and with combination of the pacing with the artist. 
this thing felt more like a series or a show put into comic book form than anything else we've read so far. It really seems to have followed the medium of let's get this TV show down into a comic book, and it's been really good. And they do a good job of um, splitting in the flashbacks along with the current. The artwork is accessible, and there's a lot of gruesome things that go on. It can be disturbing, but it's not too over the top. I mean, they could have gone to a more Lovecraftian style, and it, I think it would have been too much. This really finds a nice balance in many ways. So, no, I I really enjoyed it. I can't wait to read more. And I'm not a big horror fan. I, uh, I think we actually all agreed yeah. on this, that this is actually a, a good book. Um, Fun read, uh, very suspenseful, and I, I agree with you on the Lovecraftian thing. I have a feeling, I just feel like like Lovecraft in other medium outside of Lovecraft mm-hmm. uh, doesn't necessarily always pay off as well as you would hope. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, so now I kind of had a question for everybody. Um, since Adam had described how when he first encountered this book, we've kind of all discussed how uh, when we read this book, we suddenly wanted to read like the rest of the series. We wanted to know what happens next. We wanted to follow up on that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was going to get uh, the panel's like uh, thoughts on different, it doesn't have to necessarily be a comic book, but TV show or some something ongoing that you saw the first one, you're like, oh shit, I have to figure out what the hell's going on with the rest of this. I have to read the rest of this book. Uh, does anybody want to go first? Uh, can, does it have to be a comic, or can it be like just anything? No, it can be anything. It can be anything. Uh, it was The Newsroom, which was the HBO series with Jeff Daniels, written by uh, Aaron Sorkin. Uh, I, we, we had HBO, I think, at that time for uh, for Game of Thrones. And I mentioned that I don't, I've never really binge-watched a whole series uh, or a season. The only two things I've ever binge-watched was the first season of The Blacklist and Newsroom. Uh just because it was so well written, um, yes, it, it's pretty much liberal porn, <laughs> uh, but it's it's just bitingly wonderful. It's it's so sharp, and um, you know, working in doing stuff in the media, and you know, kind of seeing the background stuff always intrigued me. And uh, yeah, I remember it was. It's kind of funny because my husband Eddie right now he's he's in Maryland for his grandma's eightieth um, birthday, and I think when I did that was it was he was out of town doing something for like two three days and i had nothing to do so i sat and i watched all 10 episodes of the newsroom like in one day and that was the first and only time i've ever done it in one day uh but yeah so that was that was the one that kind of caught me and after the first after the first five minutes it i had to see what happened you next. know for me i remember sopranos for me really the sopranos is what did You're, it. you got me addicted to the sopranos too we were roommates at the time uh, yeah, we just kept watching one episode after the other, and we were broke college students, and it was 80 bucks a season yeah. back in the day. Those were expensive for fucking those DVDs. HBO DVDs, and I still have them. And yeah, getting $80 was a big deal, and I got all the DVDs eventually, and I absolutely loved The Sopranos and just watching that. That was awesome. I remember that. And now one. you can watch the whole thing on Amazon Prime for free. Well, yeah. with an Amazon Prime membership. So I, I don't regret my investment of that commodity <laughs> in any way, except completely. <laughs> you, you have a, you have some. I mean, this is really lame, but the pilot episode of Glee was so good, yes. and there was, yes, it was, and and, and like it, it showed so much promise, and it was so interesting, and especially for like 
someone like me, who was, you know, kind of the weird artsy kid, like, it was just like, oh my gosh, like, this is going to be the show that tells the story of, you know, like, kind of my high school experience. And then as the show kept going on and on and on, it just got weirder and crazier and dumber. And I honestly haven't even watched the last season. I just haven't even done it. Um, I mean, it's one kind of, it's kind of, it's, it's one saving grace is that it really did produce some good covers of songs. It really did do some good music. Um, but as far as the plot of the show goes, it was just, it was, it just didn't good. But that, the, the, I remember that pilot aired, um, I, that pilot aired, and I immediately downloaded the music as soon as it, as it was available, and just listened to it, just waiting for the rest of the show to happen. All right. On a related note to that, but not really, just for us to all feel fucking old, is this week has been 20 years since the lead singer of Sublime. Oh my god. I I, I still love so. that high school kids today think that they discovered Sublime. I'm like, no, 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 we all did. In high school, no, we all did. Oh yeah. <laughs> well, I um, adopted my wife's brother basically, and he was showing me the uh, let's listen to this uh, controversial music called the Bloodhound Gang, and I'm like, oh, you're cute. <laughs> oh, honey. Like, oh, that's nice. I mean, I, I talked about this so. in another podcast, but like the kids wearing Nirvana T-shirts. I'm like, you like, do you even know who Nirvana mm-hmm. is, or do you just? want to wear this t-shirt it was in the same band as jim morrison right yeah yeah mm-hmm. that's that was the thing yeah yeah that was, that was the thing what i do like on a once again what joe did really well is all the characters act their age yes and there's oftentimes you read books and you've got these 12 year old sage wisdom people of 200 but everyone here i mean Bodhi acts like a kid his age and the teenage sister and the older brother i mean they're all going through it and he did a really good job of characters are the age that they are and they're true to that and Mm -hmm. it really helps for an authentic feel and especially when they're doing um their own voiceovers you definitely hear that that six-year-old voice that 14 year old voice um they're captured very well and and that's really important especially in you know in a comic book because you're too often it kind of seems like you're reading the characters' voices and like is your own in your head. I mean, like, except for like, if I'm reading Ninja Turtles, I'm I'm hearing the voices from the cartoon from the '80s. You know, that's just what I'm hearing. If I'm reading X Men, to be completely honest, I'm hearing the cartoon from the '90s. You know, uh, but there's been a lot of comments I've read where, yes, the characters, the characters all have their own individual personalities and this and that, but they don't. Unfortunately, when I'm reading them, I'm not hearing. You know, X person's voice in my head or her voice in my head. I'm hearing my own voice reading the reading the dialogue, and yeah, you hit it right on the head as far as with with lock and keys. Like yeah, when I'm, when Bodie's talking, I hear this little kid talking, and then when you know when Tyler's talking or his mom's talking, you, know, you just everyone has their own voice, and that's not something I always come across very often in comic books. <laughs> so I was just reading that Wikipedia thing that um, Adam just shared, and that's really sad that the. The shooting it picked up. It sounded like this, like this cast was really yeah. good. Yeah. So I mean, this is this is a again, like I said before, something that's just begging to have um, a TV series or something out of it. And they actually had started working on it, and they made a pilot that they showed. Uh, the a pilot was being lit, and they showed it at Comic Con back in uh, you know San Diego Comic Con back in 2011, and everyone loved it and thought it was fantastic. 
and then it just it didn't go anywhere. Uh, it's they shopped it around because it's you know it's it's a somewhat expensive thing to make with all the special effects, and especially with some things coming up. There's there's a lot of special effects that be involved, um, which again is why I think it would do well in like an HBO or Showtime because you could deal with the mature themes and. I mean, they don't really care as much about the budget as, as say, like a, a CW or an NBC would, um, or even an AMC. I mean, I'm thinking like Netflix. So that way, you can do the whole, the whole shebang and just sure. binge watch it. Yeah. So, but yeah, this. I mean, this comes again. Like I said earlier, very high recommendation. Uh, it's. I'm glad you guys both seem to enjoy it because it's one that. The the further down the rabbit hole you go. <laughs> uh, just the more intriguing and amazing it gets, and the the fourth tray, which I think is called Clockworks. Uh, if you get there, that's the one that actually kind of takes a step back and hits the reset button in a sense. It doesn't start the story over, but it shows how everything got there. So we finally understand how uh, Keyhouse and the locks are so involved with the keys and what's going on, and uh, where they came from, and what's going on with like the, the the ghost in the well and all that kind of fun stuff. Uh, so that's that one's great because it's it's finally like you've gone through this whole thing and you're finally getting like okay this is how it happened and this is how we're here and this is what we're trying to do and uh, as as much as so much cool stuff happened that's almost my favorite one in the series because it's finally like okay cool now we get it so it's sort of like Narnia where it's book seven that is actually book one uh, chronologically yes. Because chronologically, the uh, book four takes, and it's cool because, again, one of the keys allows them to see this happen and allows them to understand what's going on. It's kind of like the time travel key, I guess you could say, and that's not really a spoiler because you learn that in the first two panels of the book. Um, but yeah, that's so that's that's kind of the one where everything spills out and you you finally get everything that's going on. So reading this uh, Wikipedia thing, there's also on Audible.com a 13-hour radio oh, play of this entire series. Yeah, looking at it here, narrated by Haley Joel Osment, Tatiana Maslany, Kate Milgrew, and it's got a, it's a full cast of uh, multiple voices doing the <laughs> whole show. I'd be interested to see how far they go because again, it's it's you've got all the series, and then you've got the final one, which well, the two final ones, which is Lock and Key Omega, mm-hmm. and then Lock and Key Alpha. So that would be interesting. Yeah, showing thirteen hour audio drama. So I bet they do the whole thing. Cool. I will have to look into that. Kate yeah. Mulgrew, yes. <laughs> You're a terrible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just essentially go go buy this and mm-hmm. then go buy. Yeah, actually, when you go, just buy the whole damn series, just because you'll want you. That way, you That's can really sit and binge good. it. Yeah, yeah. I almost did that actually, and then I was like, well, I'll read the first one first, and now I'm like, well, I should just bought them all. Well, cool. Uh, does anybody have any recommendations? I've been reading The Couriers this week by Brian Wood. It's just a small one-off trade. And it's a lot of fun. Go and read it. If anyone's seen that movie, Maximum Rush, I think it's got... Is it Premium Rush, you mean? Premium Rush. There's a lot of similarities between Premium Rush and The Couriers. Okay. So, yeah. But it's a fun, short, quick read. So Cool. Yeah. The Couriers. Brian Wood. It's great. Uh, Q, you got anything? Uh, so... This evening, I watched The D-Train, starring Jack Black and James Marsden. 
Um, I'm not a huge Jack Black fan, um, and it, it, this movie definitely plays up to the fact that I don't really care for him, but the movie was so delightfully awkward and uncomfortable that you it was, it was that train wreck that you have to watch. So, um... Uh, Jack Black kind of plays this guy who is the he's sort of like that that like that loser kid that no one really remembers from high school but he seemed to have been like super involved with everything and um, he uh so he, they, he finds out that one of the guys who was like super popular in high school is now a working actor in LA. He's not even a famous actor; he's just a working actor. And um, they're like, "Oh, we have to get this guy um, who's played by James Marsden to come to our re- our twentieth high school reunion. It's going to be like so awesome." Blah blah blah. And he just makes a series of some of the worst life choices ever, and then it just all comes crashing down. So the reason that this movie it was even like a blip on my radar is that there is this supposedly infamous scene of um, James Morrison and Jack Black having sex together, um, and and it's and the thing is it's 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 played very sort of. It, it, I, you know, I read a review about it. You know, after we we watched the movie, and um, it, it, and the the reviewer was right. Like, it's it's not played as just like a one trick joke, and it's not played as, um, you know, someone is ashamed of it or someone you know feels bad about it or anything. It's just kind of like, oh well, yeah, we had sex together, and I, I don't know. It was anyway. But like the and the thing is that even that isn't that uncomfortable. Just seeing Jack Black naked, but like the the they just make so many bad choices. There's so many bad decisions, and you just can't stop watching. It is so so uncomfortable. But it was it was fun. Well, Adam, you got anything? Uh, yeah, actually, two comic things. So uh, this is the week that everyone's going apeshit crazy over Steve Rogers, Captain America. <laughs> um, you know, spoiler alert, because it was all over the internet. Uh, it's basically revealed that. Uh, Steve Rogers is now and always has been uh, a deep plant Hydra spy, and the, the internet blew up because they planned him going into hibernation. Uh, no, no, it's like that he was. It, it actually does a really good job of showing that how when he was a kid, um, his dad was abusive and a drunk, and this lady kind of stopped his dad from beating up his mom, and they became friends. And she invites his mom to a, a Hydra meeting, and that's how he kind of gets indoctrinated, and kind of goes from there. Uh, but again, the internet's blowing up over this, and when I first heard about it, I was kind of like, oh, crap, like, I love Captain America, he's, like, one of my favorite characters, like, I was upset, but I wasn't, like, freaking out, which the internet is wanting to do, I mean, and all I'm saying is it's a very, very well-done comic, uh, it's well-drawn, well-written, I'm really interested to see how they're going to handle this, because with that in mind, it kind of, like, everything going forward, especially with, like, Civil War Two coming up, it's going to put this thing in the back of your head that, you know, why is he doing this, is he do it because he's actually trying to do the right thing is he because he's hydra who knows um but it was again great comic pick it up it's fun um and the other one like i'm not really a dc person but uh, dc rebirth just started and as we know a couple years ago they hit the reset button and came out with a new 52 and it pissed off a lot of longtime fans because it changed things up and people were different and blah 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 uh, this is also kind of doing the same thing, but it's doing it in a really interesting way. Uh, I don't want to say too much about it because it's not really been out there, but uh, it's tying in a lot of DC properties that you wouldn't think would be involved. Um, and it's doing it the right way that's bringing in a lot of speculation, a lot of fun stuff. Uh, 
basically it's bringing back Wally West, who was the Flash we haven't seen forever, and he's trying to reach through the Speed Force to tell people, like, hey, so what happened was when Flashpoint happened, which reset everything to be the new 52, some omnipotent being removed 10 years out of our lives. And so, like, people who should know people, people who should be enemies, people who should love each other, don't. And it's all fucked up, and he's trying to fix it all and bring things back, and he reaches out to, like, Batman and different people to try to reach the Speed Force to do it. Um, it's 80 pages for only three bucks. Uh, it's written by Jeff Johns, who's kind of stepping away to handle um, all the stuff with Warner Brothers doing the DC movies. Uh, but it's it's he such a great story. Uh, the last panel all of a sudden has you going back and trying to find all the things you missed that play into that. So if you're a DC fan, uh, this should you know get you back in the mood to to love what they're doing and if you're not a dc fan you'll probably be lost on a couple things but it's still a really well told story and i'm very very excited to see what happens next cool. um and then my recommendation because uh the way adam described uh lock and key um with having to, like getting addicted to it and having to read the whole thing uh, my wife was the same way with um a uh manga manga depending on how you want to pronounce it and i'm sure i'll get slapped by somebody for saying it wrong on um, either way uh called death note um which is about a guy who discovers um a uh death god's notebook and he if he writes anybody's name in it um they die uh, if he writes a specific way they die that specific way or if he writes a specific time they die that specific time Otherwise, they just die of a heart attack like 30 seconds later or something like that. And so uh, he decides to basically become a vigilante and then eventually becomes um, sort of like a uh, almost like a serial killer and kind of uh, uh, it, it, it's very interesting. But basically, it's about it's a sort of cat and mouse game of uh, them trying to discover who has uh, the death note and uh, and uh, who is doing all these killings and all that kind of stuff. And uh, uh, it goes on. I think there's like 13 books of it, if I remember correctly. But uh, it's actually it's very good and it's very fun and it is uh, is highly addicting as well. So that is my recommendation for this week. Um, we, uh, apparently, it's also a really cool anime as well. I've not seen it. Yeah, and I think they're doing it on my list. an American movie and or cartoon of it coming up here as well. But yeah, the anime you can actually see on Netflix, I think. Oh, is it? I, I have to go look. And uh, what's also interesting too is uh, Chuck Palahniuk, the guy who wrote Fight Club and you know what she's most well known for. Uh, back in two thousand two, kind of had a very similar thing. Uh, it wasn't so much that you mm-hmm. found a book and you know someone's name in it. It's just that they're. Uh, there was a nursery rhyme that was used back in African cultures when it was going through famine or bad times that if people wanted to gently have someone pass away so they wouldn't suffer, you would just read them this nursery rhyme and they would die. They would just fall asleep. It's in a book called uh, Lullaby. Yeah, Lullaby. And uh, he's actually, they're shopping that around to make a movie out of it. So it's kind of the same thing. So hmm. uh, Death Note's one I'm actually, I really want to read and uh, watch. And I've never read a manga or manga. I, I just, I, I have trouble trying to do it the backwards way. <laughs> Um, but I, I really wanted to actually get into that one because I've heard really good things. But uh, if you also like fucked up bullshit like that Chuck writes, uh, Lullaby is a lot of fun. And that'll do it for this week's episode of the Funny Books and Firewater podcast. Once again, if you like what you heard and you can do us a solid, like us on whatever service you downloaded this podcast from. Give us a good comment and a hearty thumbs up and uh, help us to uh, find more people. Uh, and help us on our goal to global domination. Uh, links to all of our social media, as well as all the recipes for the drinks you heard this week, can be found on our website, www.funnybooksandfirewater.com. Uh, the social media links are uh, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Tumblr. 
Also, if you'd like to email us, there is a contact tab on our website. You can send us an email. So next, we're going to be discussing a personal favorite of mine, Saga by Brian K. Vaughn, and with art by Fiona Staple. Until then, have a great week, and please support your local comic shop, and don't forget to tip your bartender.